It's time for your post-election plunge, folks. Welcome to the Plunge Podcast, the only podcast co-hosted by two of Russia's finest bots. I'm Dan Spaventa, and joining me, as always, is my partner in grime. (laughs) Yeah, what's up? It's Sam Wagstaff uh, coming at you, as usual. Just survived another election cycle. Yeah. Did voting make you rock hard and just solve all of your crises? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I felt like... Did you see when Billy Eichner was telling like Stephen Colbert that he was horny, but to vote, like he wanted to go into a room and just vote his brains out or something? The voting celebrities really blew their load, I think, because, look, the Democrats won back the House. Let's not understate that that is important, but I don't think this was quite the blue wave that people wanted no i mean there are definitely a lot of solid victories that shouldn't be downplayed but in general i think this goes to show how ineffective this strategy of just like get people out to vote get people to vote i mean we saw midterm turnout basically the same as it always ever is it's it's 16% less of the population voted in this midterm than did in the presidential election, which usually happens. But I mean, it's like voter turnout of 40%. It's, it's, it's not this like up, you know, ground swell of the oppressed or anything. And this definitely answered the question would a president or like government leadership with a predilection for fascism like mobilize the public to defeat him like clearly not no apparently not but also i think the big story of this has been i just think it's so ineffective because the forces that be put so many barriers to working class people or people of color or immigrants or native americans they put so many obstacles between those people and being able to vote and just exhorting people to vote and saying how important it is and you know how you're going to shame them if they don't vote isn't as effective as making it easier for people to vote by doing something like making it a national holiday on election day or having automatic voter registration like they do in Oregon or something like that i mean the fact that these aren't on the forefront of I guess the message of the Democratic Party right now is this is why they continue to lose. I mean, in the Senate, you saw that Democrats got more votes. They got more like six million more votes just aggregated, but they lost three seats. It's ridiculous the way this is set up. Vote shaming, not the most effective tactic. Vote shame America. We can go through a few of the individual stories, uh, the triumphant defeat of Scott Walker. Fuck yeah. The hideous, I believe, two-term governor. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy who gave Foxconn all those absurd tax breaks so they could come in and build one of their factories with a suicide net and all that shit. I think that at the end of the day, the tax cuts for each job created by 
the or each actual job created by the Foxconn plant in uh, Wisconsin or whatever is like $1.5 million in tax breaks to Foxconn per individual job. And of course, his union busting bill. Man, from back in the day. Right, in 2010, led to these like weeks of protests at the Wisconsin Capitol, which apparently in his book he talked about people smoking weed in the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that Scott Walker was able to get a book together is absurd. You sent the funniest story about how Scott Walker blames his egregious, greasy, bald spot on an incident in the kitchen. Do you want to go into this? I suppose I'm just going to read the passage. I I suppose this is from his book. The bald spot, he said, was the result of a repair incident in the kitchen when he banged his head on an open kitchen cabinet door while making repairs requested by his wife, Tonette, wrote the paper. She kept telling him to go to the doctor to get the scar on his head looked at, he said. When he finally did, the doctor said his hair would never grow back in that spot, the governor explained. <laughs> you don't have, like, surgery scars. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, it, it, what, so every time you bang your head, you get a fucking bald spot? Like, what? what is your, what are your hair follicles made out of? Like, why don't they grip into your fucking scalp? You can easily, this easily dislodge them? Come on. Yeah, he's one of the most hideous governors uh, that we've had in the last few years. Uh, Wisconsin will be way better off without him. And, hey, we've mentioned this guy before, but Steve King, on the other hand, won his re-election for Congress in Iowa. Go off, King. (laughs) Steve King is a racist... He is one of the horrific examples of white supremacy, like actually having power in Congress. Now, Sam, what do you think we can learn from the fact that the information about him has been out there, like, you know, written about and talked about a lot? Why do you think the people of of Iowa elected this Nazi, beside gerrymandering and voter suppression. I mean, <laughs> as we're going to find out, people kind of like fascism. I, I, they really kind of do. And they, or at least the people who currently vote right now, are pretty much, much okay with it. I mean, Trump has what, like 90, a 91% approval rating as f- amongst Republicans. Uh, a lot of the representatives and i guess candidates who shied away from trump in this campaign cycle wound up coming off badly i'm thinking of uh barbara comstock who's an atrocious like pro-life representative from virginia who after four terms lost and i don't know i think in general she was part of there was an actual blue wave in virginia virginia luckily for me now is like an actual blue state not just like a purple state anymore but in general i mean candidates that shied away from trump and his agenda on the right they paid for it at the polls and i think all this blustering about how trump is bad for the republicans brand he's gonna ruin them i mean 
I don't think so. I think that he's good for the Republicans' brand. I think that Republicans are starting to really like him and get used to it. Steve King, of course, visited this like Nazi group when he went to see Auschwitz recently. Ugh. Yeah, this was this grotesque sort of. Well, I gotta hear both sides. <laughs> Let's see if uh, this Holocaust was all it was cracked up to be. I mean, who knows? He said he wouldn't want Muslims working in his district's pork plants. <laughs> he gave interviews with several Nazi publications, and uh, his legacy stretches back several years, saying that dreamers have... Calves the size of cantaloupes from hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. That's such a specific, like, attack on that community. Like, got to keep those uh, Hispanics out. They have bulging biceps from uh, beating up your mom. A decade before Donald Trump's border wall, Steve King wanted to build an electric fence that would shock any incoming migrants who attempted to touch it but i mean i think all this stuff has been out in the open and people thought that steve king was like a blast from the past when really he was kind of a harbinger of things to come in the republican party he's part of this whole story of how we get from ronald reagan to george bush to to trump i think they're all part of the same continuum and People like Steve King are, you know, here to stay, unfortunately. Yeah, and even after the anti-Semitic murder in Pittsburgh, like, that even led to further scrutiny for Steve King, and yet he still was elected. Jews weren't voting for him anyway, for the most part, and... uh I mean, I don't even know there's any Jews in his district to think about it or enough to, like, swing the vote anyway. And the people who voted for him don't really care about violence against Jewish people, especially if they don't know any of them. Uh, I mean, it's 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 bad stuff. Another bad victory was definitely Ron DeSantis beating Andrew Gillum in Florida in the governor's race. Absolutely. DeSantis ran an extremely racist campaign. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. That is not going to work. That's not going to be good for Florida. He used robocalls from a group called Road to Power, featuring a voice caricaturing a black dialect that refers to Gillum as a Negro. Yeah, and... This was not alone. I mean, the we also saw this in the governor's race in Georgia where racism was on. I mean, Brian Kemp was, oh, I mean, he was unapologetic with it. He wanted to say to paint Stacey Abrams as a Black Panther and like this militant black nationalist and really scare white people to the polls. And we saw like disturbing statistics on people who voted for for him, I mean, 76% of white women, more than even white men, voted for Brian Kemp. It's absurd. Wasn't that where they turned around the buses of early voting, like older black people? 
Yeah, that should be the most like the at the forefront of that story is just the insane voter suppression in Georgia. The I mean, what like tens of thousands of people being purged from the polls, majority people of color and specifically black people. Um, I, I I mean, it's atrocious. The guy who counts the ballots at the end of the day has an advantage, and Brian Kemp took as as many of those advantages as he could. And DeSantis. Uh, going back to him and I guess Kemp too like again it's further proof that for a Republican to be popular in a lot of places they have to just suck Trump's teeth and really just kiss the ring one thing that I think is correct about this election cycle was that the Democrats and the Republicans who won were you know the democrats who were the further to the left for the most part with some exceptions and especially on the republican side the republicans that were furthest to the right tended to win both parties are kind of figuring out that they need to rally their bases and for republicans their base is racist as hell white people and fear-mongering works for them you can see it here with these numbers they were able to rely on this return to just white rage to win re-election and defeat their opponents. I mean, it's nothing more to it than that, I don't think. And there was that story of the woman who was 98 years old and voted for an all-red ticket in Texas, and then she died right after. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that... Rest in peace, you piece of garbage. You, I saw you post that, and every time I, like am scrolling through my likes and that comes up i physically burst out into laughter thinking about this old lady just like with her dying breath voting for like ted cruz and then fuck kicking the bucket i mean you know rest in dog shit lady i don't care yeah and i guess it's important to note that desantis and gillum in florida like they voted for desantis who was against expanding health care coverage for Floridians, and he had no plans to protect pre-existing conditions and basically just wails about tax cuts in between, like, shaking hands with people like, oh, let's see, a man who called Barack Obama a fucking Muslim N-word on Twitter... (laughs) Oh, and another, he went to a conference organized by David Horowitz, a a fringe figure who said African-Americans owe their freedom to white people and the country's only serious race war is against whites. So, sucks that uh, Gillum lost. Uh, It was close. One good thing that came out of this race with Florida was definitely that, or this election cycle, was that they voted there was a measure in Florida to reallow people who have previous convictions to, I guess, vote again. They previously have been barred from this. And given how disproportionately the criminal justice system affects people of color and specifically black people, I think the statistic was like 40% of black men in Florida regained the right to vote i mean when you think of numbers that huge that's what this is about this is why it's hard to get wins for democrats we're in an age where the voting right voting rights act has been gutted by the supreme court where gerrymandering has i mean they they redrew the districts in 2010 the republicans completely 
gerrymandered the shit out of everything to the point that Democrats really need to pull off these like huge margins to be able to even get a win. And I mean, until we attack that, instead of just exhorting people to vote and like shaming individual people for not voting, I think the best thing to do would be start like now that we actually have control of the house, I mean, start taking out these structures that have made it so hard for Democrats to win. Like that should be the first thing on their minds right now is like, how do we make it so that more people are able to vote? That was the whole thing with their, like, you got to go vote messaging was I could tell like, you know, Sam B and the pod save America people, whatever, what they want you to do is vote for Democrats. And they assume that by getting every as many people out to vote that the majority of those people will vote for democrats which is largely true but because they didn't make those intentions clear it's like i mean why can't you just say go vote for democrats why does it have to be like you have to just go vote period i mean i I don't understand that yeah as if that messaging being seen by right-wingers wouldn't encourage them to vote to counteract this appearance of you know uh insurgent left-wing energy absolutely i mean like at a certain level all these like centrist publications that clearly do favor just the democrats you gotta pick sides i mean damn i i don't know i i think that if you were a republican you should stay the fuck home when you on election day i don't want you to go vote it doesn't make me feel good to see your i voted sticker and i don't understand why you would be as a democrat like more angry at people who don't vote or people who vote third party than people who vote republican it's a shame that we can no longer be horny for beto he clearly had secured the coveted Brooklyn and Los Angeles vote, but that might not cut it uh, when you're running for a senator of Texas. No. And, I mean, Texas, what, Florida and Georgia have gotten a lot of shit this today, which I don't think is totally fair because there are a lot of people working as hard as they fucking can on the ground to overcome the absurd voter suppression or gerrymandering or all the other obstacles that Democratic candidates or left-wing candidates have in trying to dismantle the obstacles that stand between people and voting. But in Texas, shit, Beto O'Rourke, what what is everyone's fucking boner with this guy? Why does everyone like him so damn much? He reminds them of Obama and... He's young, and he can give a speech. Yeah, he just seems overwhelmingly basic to me. I realize that, you know, Texas doesn't have that high a standard for its candidates. Obviously, a lot of shitty candidates come out of Texas. But, I I mean, with this guy, I don't understand this lesion of, like, average-looking white guys that, like, they literally talk like Obama. And I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean they are imitating Obama's, like, uh, the way he speaks, they're like, well, uh, I, as a beta will work. It's like, who is telling people to do this? Who's getting paid like $200,000 a year to tell Beto O'Rourke to talk like that? Well, let's play a little clip here of Beto saying fuck at his concession speech. Not a dime from a single pack. All people, all the time, in every single part of Texas. All of you, 
showing the country how you do this. I'm so fucking proud of you guys. And our takeaway from the midterms is that Trump will win again and we are doomed. Yeah. No, absolutely. This confirmed for me that Trump not only has a chance of winning, but more likely than not will win re-election because again like we always rag on the democrats but goddamn they're just so sclerotic and fucking disorganized they have no consistent message they run away from everything that could make them more popular and yo even like they could easily come out with a, a united front to legalize weed nationally easily yes but they can't even do that i don't understand it at all i mean they always complain about how we can't they can't get anything done because republicans control all three branches of government and even now they still control everything except for the house of representatives but they forget that like when democrats had that when obama was elected when they literally were in the same damn position that republicans are in now they did nothing with it they bailed out the auto industry which we can argue about but they we thought we were going to get like full communism like legal weed and like an end to all the like, wars abroad when obama was elected right and none of that materialized and then we learned to just kind of accept failure i think and republicans don't do that they just drive harder into their absurd revanchist agenda which i'm not saying is a good thing to do but Democrats should maybe learn a thing or two and take this opportunity to make a ton of noise and drive the Overton window back to the left a few notches because it's getting ridiculous at this point. Like how every elected election is just a hostage situation. Well, unfortunately, Nancy Pelosi today made sure to highlight her commitment to bipartisanship. <sighs> yeah, you better because you, you don't actually control anything you have a slim majority in the house which is worthless at the end i mean come fucking on we found out jeff sessions is gone hell yeah so that elven little gnomish just ugh, disgusting i don't know just throw him in a assisted living facility and be done with him Yeet that man in a hole, for real. Sorry to steal jokes from the internet, as usual. But I, I was so unspeakably happy when I got that notification that he had resigned at Trump's urging. And everyone, every g politics genius was like, you know, he didn't actually just quit. It seems that Trump wanted him to quit. Which, it doesn't matter. We all get to fucking celebrate. Jeff Sessions, I think, was for a while, the worst person in the Trump administration because he had the so much power as the head of the DOJ and such a disgusting worldview. He, I think Trump had pointed him just because he had been too racist in like the 80s to get a federal judgeship and missed out on that. And, tr and it, like white people needed to score a win and get him to be the head of the justice system in the U.S. And just seeing him gone, even though the person who they're replacing him with is a total piece of shit and he's going to want to kibosh like the whole Russia investigation or whatever, he's not Jeff Sessions. He's a total Trump bootlicker. Yeah, no, he's a total fucking goon. He's, I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. I mean, Trump is basically like a mob boss. He's always just like, I need loyalty from you. So I don't think we should forget that a couple weeks ago, Robert Bowers in Pittsburgh 
walked into a synagogue saying he wanted to kill all Jews. I, I just feel like the news cycle allows us to forget about these things. And I think there's a conversation to be had about this event. Yeah, I think that maybe non-Jews have moved on from this, but I, I think this has hung heavy in the Jewish community of just this shocking attack and one of the worst, I guess, hate crimes ever committed against Jewish people in the United States. So I, I think that it's clearly another instance where a guy who's just like strapped, like he had a, an AR-15 and three Glock 357 handguns and they were purchased legally, which it's the most depressing thing because there just seems to be like no end in sight to this like gore. Yeah, the mass shootings are exhausting. I mean, they really are. It's just a everyday wonder if it's going to be whether you at the grocery store who gets shot in one of these fucking rampages and i feel like this has just been such a shocking attack i mean he did this for online conspiracy theory reasons he believed that jews resettle refugees in the united states in an attempt to like wage war against white people and it it's just sickening obviously like any crime where you're attacking people for their existence is beyond conscionable but i feel like this attack has just i don't know it's so directed at like american jews does it make sense like i feel like it's made me really think about what it is for us to be like american secular jews in the diaspora and i don't know the the tone of i guess the reaction to this has definitely affected that i mean we should probably mention the despicable Haaretz article written by an Israeli who says that those of us living in the diaspora to whom he refers to as exiles, uh, that we are intentionally basically killing off our race by not living in Israel and breeding with other Jewish people. I think it's important for us to, at this moment, debunk the oft-heard, how could I be anti-Semitic? I am a huge fan of Israel. Right, because Israeli anti-Semitism towards diasporic Jews is definitely a well-living thing. They they think we're like soft baby shit that, and that we've forgotten our Jewish like culture or something. And to me, there seems to be this element of yeah, of course these far-right lunatics love Israel because they don't want there to be American Jews. They want us all living in this apartheid state. Also, they want us living there because they literally believe that Jews need to be in the land of Israel in order for the second coming to occur. And this actually informs like a lot of this like crazy right-wing foreign policy. I mean, it's, it's genuinely true. You can trace this. It's, I'm not making this up. Well, what can we make of that event connected with what happened a couple days before where Cesar Sayak mailed bombs to 
Like every prominent Democrat and Robert De Niro. Yeah, and like George Soros. And basically, again, this is a crime that was committed because the online world told Cesar Sayoc to do it. Like the targets are just the people that like Alex Jones rants about. It's it's literally radicalized by memes. Literally, this is the world we're living in. All these fucking right-wing provocateurs. I mean, wasn't Ben Shapiro this guy's like favorite pundit or whatever? Like he was watching a ton of Ben Shapiro videos. You know exactly what this guy is, where they are getting their news from and what is leading them to commit these acts. It's pretty staggering when you hear the charge. It's Packages addressed to former President Barack Obama, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, former Vice President Biden, Representative Maxine Waters, Senator Cory Booker, Senator Kamala Harris, former CIA Director John Brennan, and former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, and then packages were also sent to George Soros, and billionaire donor Tom Steyer, who is financially supporting a campaign to impeach Donald Trump. And then another package was addressed to CNN in Atlanta and CNN in New York City. And also one was sent to Robert De Niro's restaurant. So this is kind of why we get so angry about the way people talk about the midterms and stuff. Both sides. Both sides. The midterms have utterly eclipsed these two shocking fucking terrorist attacks committed by right-wing psychopaths who were, like, radicalized by memes, as you said. They... Uh, the worst attack on Jewish Americans, the worst hate crime ever committed against our community. The This guy mailed bombs to every fucking person in there. This coordinated attack on just so many different targets. Basically, almost all of them were delivered to their targets. The ones that weren't, he put the what the return address of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So she got wound up getting a pipe bomb too. Like this, I don't understand how this has gotten just so swept under the rug by fucking vote save America and all this bullshit. Honestly, like, can you imagine if one? fucking conservative had gotten a pipe bomb or something like this we'd all be taking our shoes off to enter the post office every day are you fucking kidding me how is this not a bigger story when you look at this man's internet and personal history he was like a trump rally mega fan his van was just plastered with images of Michael Moore and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi with like scopes over them, like indicating that he was going to shoot them with a rifle and literal memes on his car and just like Donald Trump is my savior sort of shit. And this is what we're saying when we rag on the Democrats so hard and talk about how they're so ineffective. They are wholly unequipped to deal with the world that we are in right now. We're in a world in which this guy who has random shit from the internet posted on his van that is absurdly violent. He drives this thing around like wherever the fuck he lives in Florida. And until now, until he committed this coordinated terrorist attack on like dozens of people that until now he has just 
driven around and had a normal ass life and they don't understand that this threat is something that they can't control. I don't think the right wing understands the forces they're unleashing either, but they're more okay with the outcome. Like liberal liberals and Democrats, I'm like, damn, you guys got to get your ass in gear because we are we're in the fucking fire. As if it wasn't enough that like the world's ending in 12 years because of global warming, we will probably blow ourselves up before then because we'll have these fucking psychopaths running around in our society. And I think you cannot discount the influence of prominent right-wing figures who aren't Donald Trump, like Ted Cruz saying, lock him up about Beto O'Rourke at his rally. Y- you have to like make that connection. It's, it's fucking obvious at this point. No, I mean, in this these kinds of fascist tendencies are propped up by the most banal figures possible as well. And honestly they would not be as powerful if they were not if our only hope was not just this hopeless opposition party which is the democrats like we need better people in our corner or else we need to take care of it ourselves the republicans aren't going to stop and the right wing in this country the violent right wing is not going to stop we know what they want you can go on youtube and see what it is they want and they're pretty explicit about wanting to the guy who shot up the synagogue in Pittsburgh said, I want to kill Jews. I want to shoot Jews. Like we know what they want. It's not, you don't, they're not hiding anymore. All right. Let's go to something a little less heavy and (laughs) play the audio of Jordan Peterson on what can only be described as his all beef diet. Are you still eating your all beef diet? Unfortunately, yes. Really, just just beef. Not. Can you have like ketchup no, on it? Nothing. Right. Yes, I wouldn't. It isn't something I would lightly recommend. It's a little hard on your social life. It makes traveling quite difficult, and it's dull as hell. But, but. But what's it? What has it done for you? Well, I lost fifty pounds in seven months. I stopped snoring. I had some autoimmune conditions that seem to have gone away. I'm not taking antidepressants. My mood isn't perfectly regulated, but I'm under a fair bit of stress, so that might have something to do with it. Jordan does not sound good. I mean, his love of, I guess, not snoring and (laughs) a little weight loss has cost him friends. Man, you couldn't ask for a more perfect metaphor for that dude either than the all beef diet. I mean, he's he beefs with everything from like Disney movies to like 18 year olds. I mean, he's really uh, an angry man. And in this video, he sounds extremely angry. He's got just so much beef inside of him. Yeah, this video made me so happy because he just is such a miserable like weirdo (laughs) and just knowing the uh, negative effect he's had on like cultural discourse it's just nice to see that he's just this like ashen (laughs) ground beef eater yeah his his complexion was like nine different shades he clearly is having trouble like staying regular he seems like he really needs to like take a shit i mean he just looks very constipated and unhappy he's clearly trapped in a web of his own design i mean i I don't know what more 
what more you need to see. He, I genuinely believe he's following this all beef diet because, like, look at him. Listen to the way he sounds. All right, let's do a few tech stories before we move into the pop culture corner. I wanted to highlight this from Mother Jones. Bots are hijacking the political conversation just before the election, and they traced the amount of bot activity for certain keywords on November 4th and 5th. And would you look at that? The top four were 27% uh, bots for the term caravan, 38% were bots who tweeted walk away, 40% MAGA were bots, and 43% who posted something about QAnon were bots. So it's just so funny how much of our discourse is weighed down by these <laughs> MAGA bots. I feel like I'm always underwhelmed by the amount of bot activity every time there's like a study that comes out with these kinds of numbers. Just because like I'm I've been on the internet for a minute. I know that like I would say like 80% of the internet is just bots. Like it's it's its own self-aware entity at this point. It's like a hive mind of just you know random machines shouting like maga at one another but i mean of course the republican or the the conservative side of the internet is like primarily bots i mean anyone could be out there spouting this caravan nonsense you don't have to tell me that the majority of people or that a significant percentage of the people saying like we're gonna hashtag walk away from the democratic party which i believe is largely like aimed at black people like trying to convince black people to leave the democratic party for the republican party which is like okay of course of course they're gonna do that so i'm not too surprised fun fact the walk away movement uh candace owens the bizarre right-wing figure lost kanye west for the right-wing movement by associating his name with that movement of course, of course. And also, we know that he talked to LeVar Ball r- right before he started tweeting about how he no longer wants to do politics for right-wing weirdos, or that he said he was going to step away from politics, which to which he's obviously referring his absurd you know, embrace of Donald Trump. But I'm willing to credit LeVar Ball with saving us from you know, right-wing Kanye. Well... I found another story on BuzzFeed by Craig Silverman, who's a really good reporter uh, about the MAGA online beat. And it says LinkedIn is now home to hyperpartisan political content, false memes, and troll battles. <laughs> I read this article and laughed so hard. If LinkedIn wasn't shitty enough of an experience, it is literally the center now for a lot of exclusively MAGA profiles and a lot of these are people who are not using it for a job search there are definitely like power users on LinkedIn this is something I'm starting to like become obsessed with is people who post a lot on LinkedIn because there's like a certain flavor to it and 
a lot of it is like very dystopian and certainly a lot of it is reactionary. So I'm not surprised that MAGA has flourished on there. I mean, Dan, what's your experience? Do you have to use LinkedIn very often? I check it every couple of months to make sure I haven't missed like a job offer from like God himself. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a, a good option. I mean, I feel like I get constantly like berated by there are definitely some bots on there but like i feel like recruiters are always like very especially in dc i guess they're like constantly seeking people for like whatever random machination the u.s government is doing so in general it's just a site of a lot of sketchy things i find it very dystopian one of my favorite things i saw in there was this thing about how like you need to learn to accept these eight technology and like four of them were robots or like robot related it was like ro- you know drones ai machine learning uh, i was like this is so creepy and also did a robot make this also that could have been written in like 2003 <laughs> yeah it's true i mean we're kind of in the in the present as as far as ai and like robots go i mean we have killer drones blowing up most of the middle east we've had that for 10 years now So important to note that this migration to LinkedIn is a result of the crackdown on hate speech, fake news, and manipulation from Facebook and Twitter. So this has left a lot of MAGA folks feeling like they have no place on Facebook and Twitter and seeing LinkedIn as somewhere where they can build a powerful account. And as we've established, this is only because LinkedIn is purely populated by sociopaths. I mean, no, there are a lot of good posters on LinkedIn who are nice people I don't want to offend, but I don't know why they would be listening to this podcast. <laughs> like, it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's a place for this kind of like atomized networking, prepare yourself for the newest trend, like get ready to disrupt. It's it's just dystopian and creepy and like utilitarian in a, cre- in a just uncanny way. Yeah, and the kind of fake news and memes, you know, your standard birtherism content. Uh, Oh, here's one. A graphic instructing liberals how to kill themselves. Rock on, insignificant liberals. You will not be missed, wrote the person (laughs) whose profile says she's a registered nurse. Yeah. I mean, really, I think the fact that it's that conservatives are finding it easier to populate on LinkedIn is just because I think fewer people go on LinkedIn regularly for fun the way that people go on, say, Facebook or Twitter. And both those spaces are surprisingly kind of not down with the far right rhetoric of our current president. And that's just something that these conservatives are going to have to live with. And apparently some of these conservatives feel that now LinkedIn has been shadow banning them, removing their posts, and raining down with the arm of censorship. At two, LinkedIn. And quickly, let's take a look at this chart. Speaking of dystopian. (laughs) Self-driving cars have a choice about who dies in a fatal crash. And the World Economic Forum shared a chart of the ethical considerations. Now, Sam, what did you make of this chart? Do you want to go through a few of the 
prioritized and less prioritized categories. So there are a couple things that stand out to me at the extremes of this list. The number one thing it's supposed to show preference for is a stroller. Which I think is funny because I'm like, does it distinguish of whether or not there's a baby in there? <laughs> like, like, it, like it just goes past a stroller store. It's like hell no. The car just turns the it fuck just around, veers into like eight old men. Yeah, I mean that's the only thing on this list that's not a living being. I mean, except for executive male, which is obviously a zombie-like creature. But at any rate, I mean, the stroller really stuck out to me being the number one preferred class for robot cars. The least preferred class for robot cars is cats. Egregious. When you gotta get cat, when you gotta get cats, why are you killing all the cats? It's a the cats are ranked lower than criminal. <laughs> Hold on, but criminal is ranked lower than dog. <laughs> yeah, dogs are preferable to criminals. I guess that's a, I guess it's more fucked up to prefer an animal over a human being. How are they going to tell if they're criminals? They dressed like, oh, brother, where art thou? In, like, stripes? The car just has, like, one of those lists of, like, banned clothings, like, at racist bars that says, like, no baggy jeans, like, no do-rags, no backwards baseball caps. <laughs> the chain gang versus that like <laughs> Scottish terrier. <laughs> uh, pure neutral. <laughs> this is so good. The two things that are the most neutral that it has like no change in its demeanor, which also says something, I think. The two classes that the robot car views as pure neutral are executive male and large woman. <laughs> Why is, like, large woman different than... Okay, also, it doesn't... There's no, like... There's no just base woman. There's no base man. There's no, like, middle weight. And there's also no class for skinny or, like, small man. So why are large woman or large man, like, their own class? Large woman. Like, it has... Okay, so some of the other, like, man or woman categories are, like, old people executive people male or athlete doctor doctor like how does it know if it's a doctor or not it's like a stethoscope there's a guy in scrubs can't hit that guy better hit this uh cat there better hit this executive female <laughs> yep I mean, it's so bizarre. How could you tell other than the clothing? And a car can't tell clothes. So <laughs> what are we talking about? How big is a large woman? <laughs> um, It's more likely to hit an old man or an old woman than a homeless person, which I think is interesting. I mean, there are obviously some like fucked up tendencies. The idea like, it's okay to like for a car to hit criminals or it's okay for a car to hit old people that's fucked up. But a lot of it just it makes no sense. Like I have no idea where these numbers come from. Like why is this calculable? And if, if it's calculable, does that mean that this can be programmed into a machine? And if so, why the fuck are we telling machines that they should be hitting cats rather than hitting male athletes? Like what the fuck? Whose job is this again? All right, I have to move on or I'm going to keep laughing at the term large woman. Bizarre, bizarre. It seems like something that would have been shared on LinkedIn, actually. All right, this is the pop culture corner. Let's talk about the 
golden stream coming out of our television sets. The bad TV we've watched recently. Um, Sam, why don't you go first? This is a group of fellas we've talked about in the past. Holy shit. I mean, this has been really fucking me up, this whole midterm cycle, really. This is this nightmarish phenomenon called Pod Save America. So you have two Johns, Tommy, and then Pfeiffer. Wait, so the third guy's name is Tommy? Right, he's Tommy. Man, I could not fu- I knew that there were two Dans. No, two I knew Johns. There was one- Oh shit, sorry. Two Johns. I know okay, so I know there's one I know what John Favreau looks like. The other three guys, complete fucking mystery to me. I've watched a few episodes of this show so I can properly shit on it, and that has taken a lot out of me, folks. Like I really suffer from for the art here. But like I have no idea who these guys are. No, there's, all right. there's... Regardless, what is this show? Other stuff on TV <laughs> has bland guys on it before. What is this HBO? series which i assume is like comedy because i know they had comedy writers on it dan when you make assumptions you make an ass out of you and me my friend like (laughs) (laughs) this shit is not a comedy or if it is then they're it's a really 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 bad one the first thing that stands out about me okay so these are like ex-obama guys right like john favreau was like a speech writer these other guys were staffers or something they're you know dnc go harders and in general, they're kind of insufferable personally, but the thing that most like irks me about the show at first is that they're really bad at podcasting. Like they're just not good at it. They're always looking at their cards, they're fumbling their lines. I mean, Dan, like I sound I as a you're a radio man, but I as a non like a lay podcaster, I am noticing just how unfucking professional they are. <laughs> So can you be more specific, I I guess, about certain scenes or bits or sketches or rants? Like, when did they annoy you the most on this show? So the worst thing they do is that they mainly play clips from, like, Fox News or clips of the president. And then they have rants uh, in between. And their rants can be really about anything. So they mystery science 3000, like, cable news? Big time, but mostly like Fox News. They spend a lot of time on Donald Trump. The beginning, their intro is dominated by Donald Trump. There's also a very tasteless screenshot of like Colin Kaepernick that pops up. They definitely try to insert themselves into a lot of movements that really don't have anything to do with them as like four individuals. But specifically, like their lack of podcasting skill. One of the Johns, not John Favreau, the other one is John Lovett. John Lovett is always like missing his mic he's always very far away from it he these guys they, do live shows like every fucking night like not every right. night but they have multiple podcasts like each of them they get paid a lot to do this shit they can't stay off the cards and just in general the trope is that trump is a it's a classic like liberal fantasy that trump and his racism his far right ideology are somehow like an aberration as far as American politics go. And 
one of the things that really stood out to me was that they are sort of like the New York Times, that they refuse to say that he's just being racist, that Trump is just saying racist things. They're always like, he's always inflaming racial tension, or there's racial barbs, or he's always had racial language. And I'm like, what the? F- he's being racist. It's not science, <laughs> or it's not rocket science. Yeah, I have not brought myself to watch this show, but I can only imagine that they talk a lot about votes. They do. And, of course, they're the originators of the atrocious Vote Save America slogan. They have also, they have very patronizing bits on the show. Most of it is them in front of a live studio audience, or not a studio audience. I think they're usually like theaters or something. Like they're live performances for the general public. And they have the most atrocious background art, which is like neon George Washington listening to the headphones, like their, you know, stupid podcast logo, but they'll change it to Abraham Lincoln or like some other corny presidents. And they deliver this kind of, you know, hacky, I guess, commentary and banter. And then they go into like their commercials are segments where they have basically just patronizing, pedantic descriptions of what you need to do to vote and what you need to think about when you vote. And like literally they showed people how to vote, like how to go into a voting booth and fill in bubbles. I mean, that that was in their midterm special that I watched. My central sort of dissonance with this is that who are they like preaching to? If you're watching that shit, you know how to vote. Right. And I think what a lot of this show is and why it's so infuriating is that this show is for people who they care about politics in a way that's they don't think it's a real thing. They think it's like a story or like a a soap opera and they get really into like the horse race aspect of it for sure. But more importantly, they're like looking for sassy Elizabeth Warren clapbacks and they want notorious RBG. There you go. Yeah, they absolutely fetishize the art of politics. They think that politics is this grand debate, and they are just very untethered from the actual implications of politics. They really go out of their way to seem wonkish. One thing I really notice in all of their like unfocused rants is that they are always saying that Trump is trying to distract people away from the issues. Like They literally say this verbatim pre-existing conditions they don't say health care they just say we're not talking about pre-existing conditions i'm like well yeah because that's a really fucking random and bizarre like you shouldn't be denied coverage because of your pre-existing condition next like why why is that something we're debating so i'll go through some of like the things they brought up that i thought really stuck out to me in one of their unfocused rants they mentioned that christine ford was the first woman to be abused in the same manner where she was trying to talk about how a some, a nominee to the Supreme Court had sexually abused her in the past and nobody believed her. And watching this, you're like, okay, have you were you around 20 years ago when Anita Hill received the same treatment and then some? I mean, they're very anachronistic sense of history with these guys. They always talk about voting with no ideas. They talk about the last three years 
years of incivility in politics as if as if the Republican like the Tea Party didn't happen as if like George Bush didn't happen. I mean, incivility has been a part of the Republican playbook for a long ass time. And it's also a useless thing to debate when the Republican Party is the public party of like militaristic death. Speaking of how they only play clips of Fox News or of Trump generally, they did this whole lengthy diatribe about how Donald Trump does these things to distract away from pre-existing convictions with his scandals. But as soon as they said that, they literally switched to a clip of Kanye meeting with Donald Trump. (laughs) I was just like, okay, so you literally pivoted saying that you were going to be talking about the issues to talking about the non-issue that you just said we should not be talking about. Is that the joke? Yes, that is what I ask at every segment in this show is like, was that a joke? They constantly are making these jokes that aren't jokes and the audience doesn't laugh. The funniest thing is that they really can't work a room. Everyone in this audience is, as you said, no one's being convinced from the Republican Party to buy like the Pod Save America bros to vote Democratic. These are all people who really like bang with the Democrats and think that they're like sassy black women. They are absolutely people who should be in the the Pod Save America bros back pocket, but they can't even land a joke with this just totally willing audience. Yeah, those people wear their friend of the pod t-shirts like it's their fucking uniform. Yeah, it's like a whole club with them. They're all there, and they all find community with one another. I cannot believe that you can't get a laugh out of these people. But I guess just to wrap up, the thing that was the most insidious about them, I think, is that they kind of try to co-opt every grassroots or left-wing political idea. I mean, anything of consequence that they said, I had heard on, like, some goofy like left-wing podcast or read in like a socialist newspaper years ago like every they don't say anything new but they slap themselves on at literally at one point i guess one of one of them who looks slightly anemic i i, I don't know remember his name but he said that outside of washington healthcare is the main issue for people and i'm like this is just not news like everyone fucking knows this the fact that you're in politics and you were so close to like the one of the central seats of power and you are so clueless is just so depressing. I mean, but they, at the end of the day, they're like everyone. They did say that Democrats are all should be on board with single payer healthcare. Like, but after, at what point, like these guys have been arguing against that for so long and dancing around it and trying to talk about pre-existing conditions and improving the ACA and stuff instead of just, doing the the right thing, which is going with single payer healthcare. And they just try to slap themselves onto all these like movements. I talked about how they have pictures of black lives matter protests and like Colin Kaepernick in the intro to the show. I mean, it's just, they're trying to insert themselves into all of these left-wing spaces that they have spurned so voraciously like over the past few years. It's disingenuous and it's just a microcosm of how the Democratic Party kind of neuters any like genuine left-wing shit by being the only channel for those ideas but also just taking all the teeth out of them. Well, I'm going to now talk about the horrific thing I watched this week. I saw the first few episodes of Making a Murderer Season 2, 
Now, I'm not going to go into the details of the whole story of season one and essentially, in a nutshell, the man from Wisconsin, Stephen Avery, is just a poor uh, sort of low class, you know, he's kind of the town uh, vagrant and he is falsely accused of a rape goes to prison for like 18 years and then he is acquitted and then a few years later he is charged with a new crime that he murdered and dismembered this woman Teresa Halbach and part of the reason he was put away was because his mentally impaired nephew Brendan Dassey made what really seems like on video to be a coerced false confession and this is season two of that and so the first season took place over like decades took 10 years to make and this season they I guess threw together in two years and man it really looks like it this is one of those things that like Netflix clearly just like had some money and handed it to him. And uh, Moira Demos and Laura Riccardi, the uh, two women who make Making a Murder, um, man, they are stretching for time. Yeah, I'm not sure if I was asking for a sequel to Making a Murderer. Yeah, I don't think anyone was unless there was some sort of huge break in the case. And... The footage that they use is so much court footage that we either already saw or it's it's like bonus footage. It, it, it would be like DVD extras that you never look at. And basically, the first couple episodes were just Stephen's attorney just like reenacting like blood spatter tests in a car. And it is just egregiously boring i was laughing when i was watching it at the idea that i was watching this and (laughs) i am after watching a few episodes i think he's guilty i mean wasn't that the kind of general consensus even though you're supposed to watch the first season and think like wow he was set up by the state weren't there events afterwards that prove that he actually kind of did probably do it Well, they revealed afterwards that it was left out of the documentary that they found his sweat, I guess, under the hood latch of the victim's car, which was found on his lot. So, (laughs) I don't know. Again, again, there is like a part of it where they, the cops definitely like planted some evidence and targeted him. So there is a case to be made, I think, that... He was found guilty, maybe with a lot of, like, evidence that shouldn't have been admitted. But fuck this season two because it is just, like, watching paint dry. (laughs) I felt like I was imprisoned like Stephen Avery. (laughs) Yeah, was it trying to extract, like, a fraudulent confession out of you? Yes, and it was talking to me in a very very deep midwestern twang oh the man to walk you, you talk to you like this i can't even do it <laughs> i think the first season is a enjoyable you know true crime story that's made well but 
does it hold up to reality? I don't know. It's I think you have to examine it like we examined the staircase. And I was going to say, this reminds me of the staircase. Yeah, I think in general, I guess it's a medium that is not perfect for capturing the nuances of the legal process, especially when it comes to criminal defense. I mean, these aren't stories that wrap up evenly and it's hard to know the truth for sure. And obviously that's an element of these true crime dramas, but at the end of the day, there's going to be developments like this that catch the filmmakers with their pants down. So I think it's this question I found myself asking over and over again while watching this documentary. How do you look at someone like Stephen Avery, who really seems probably guilty, um, when it's so frequently juxtaposed over this history of wrongful convictions being overturned and getting like innocent people out of prison. Yeah. I guess it's impossible to view it without expecting to see it turn out that way, but life doesn't always turn out that way. I think I'm going to finish it just as a masochistic exercise. (laughs) Well, I won't be doing that for pod save America. I'm not watching another fucking episode of that shit. All right. I don't have too much else to say about Making a Murderer Season 2 other than don't fucking bother. (laughs) Uh, Psychologists are now trying to figure out why people like death metal. So you like death metal, Sam. What did you think about this survey being done? I mean, the main takeaway I got from it was that Basically, for people who like death metal, like me, it doesn't create the ex- you know emotions that people assume death metal creates in people. It doesn't make you like angry or violent or rage filled. It makes you feel euphoric and uh, you know happy and exuberant. And that's the way death good death metal should make you feel. It should make you feel good, which is why you listen to it. And there is. I guess, appeal to the extremity of the music and even the growled vocals that end up turning off so many people. And that's what people like about it. But I thought it was funny because it basically just talked about how people who in the study did not like death metal were left feeling angry. People said it sounds like messed up teenagers making throaty, irritating noises about how bad their lives are, which, I mean, if you obviously you can't understand the lyrics most of the time, but if you read the lyrics of death metal, it's not really like that. (laughs) Well, I also found it interesting when considering the history of death metal and various subgenres of metal being used by politicians as a scapegoat for violence such as like school shootings right or just metal being tied up with the kind of satanic panic of like the 70s and 80s and such and when i listen to death metal i appreciate the extreme technicality i the one of the things it mentions in this is that the people who like 
death metal are going to be people who f- like to feel like nonconformists and obviously the like gore laden lyrics and the extremity of the music keeps i guess mainstream music fans at a distance and that's something i'm okay with i mean you're probably not i mean i'm not going to judge people might may go from listening to like Ariad and grande to listening to death metal but they have to be already the kind of people who are like down with what death metal sounds like that's true and i'm a fan i just it's not a genre like i know much about i'm a fan of all of the iter- most iterations of death metal definitely recently there's been a lot of good technical death metal which is there for the sheer like speed of the drums and the impossibility of the riffs and like how difficult the solos are and they always have these incredibly unusual song structures that's been really good lately definitely a band to check out is dying fetus which is brutal and heavy but still just unbelievably like talented musically and able to like stop on a dime and it's just a trio too and they can all play it's great music I encourage everyone to listen to death metal. I mean, the lyrics are a bit to get past, but you know, you, you early on, you're not going to understand what they're saying anyway. So you can just listen to the riffs and everything. Well, from a recommendation to a whatever the opposite of a recommendation is, let's look at two great takedown articles from this week. Uh, The first one is about Jill Soloway, the creator of Transparent and her or sorry there i believe she uses non-binary pronouns um her book their book their book wow dan she wants but the book is white hetero have you checked your privilege yet the book is called she wants it (laughs) it's not her uh, not them it's a, a different woman not them not that person and so this article by a really good trans writer, uh, Andrea Long Chu, really had me laughing very hard just at the degree to which it showed a completely uh, head up their own ass sort of person who has no conception of their own privilege and thinks that their own rising celebrity equates to some sort of like social justice victory. Yeah. It seems like they uh, apparently they goes by either she or they, but she, they prefer they, so we can be polite and use they, and they seem fairly removed at least by the, manner of their wealth from the issues that I guess working class or more average or mainstream trans or non-binary people face. 
So when the TV show Transparent was criticized for some of its, I, I think, continued criticism of the casting of Jeffrey Tambor as a trans woman, uh, never would have happened if the show were made now. But I think there's an interesting reaction here that Jill Soloway takes by taking their staff on a glamping writer's retreat where they went to El Capitan and had a shaman come and did magic incantations as we lay on the floor of a yurt. Man, that's some real San Francisco smelling your own farts kind of shit right there. So Transparent was based on Jill Soloway's own life, I guess, in that it dealt with her dealing with her own father coming out as a transgender woman late in life. And she really follows the model of the characters of the three children on the show. She left her husband for a woman like the character Sarah Pfefferman. Like Josh Pfefferman, she became a successful entertainment industry player and like Ali, she would date a celebrated lesbian poet and experiment with non-binder gender. And that was uh, reading from the article here. I thought it was interesting the way that the author said that Soloway's kind of ignorant about a lot of aspects of trans life from the book. It seems that she thinks of all trans women as being kind of the same as her parent, um, which is not, it's not fair as reductionist as hell, but there's also a description of the lessons that the person who Jill Soloway consulted with for the show makes a living presenting. One of the lessons is about how the word trans is Latin for bridge and she writes the word transbrella on the whiteboard and says not everyone is at one end of the spectrum or the other. People use the word trans to refer to all kinds of people, including drag queens, butch lesbians, and genderqueer folks who metaphorically stand on the bridge. Like, I feel like I'm not any spokesman for this culture, but I feel like this is getting a little reductionist. It seems a little, I guess... I want to say pedantic, but it's misleading. So it's not exactly a good kind of pedantic. <laughs> and the cringeworthy nature of Soloway's account of the Me Too movement, which the book, uh, that's the ending of the book. And quote, two years after I'd yelled, topple the patriarchy on stage, it all came tumbling down. Marvel Soloway breathlessly equating the firing of several famous men with the end of a regime as old as history itself. Our author often appears to believe she can take history's pulse by glancing at her own Fitbit. <laughs> yeah, I get the sense that uh, Jill Soloway seems to think that it seems like they're trying to rehabilitate the image of Hollywood producers now that they are a Hollywood producer. So the idea with Me Too is that Me Too must be over because 
Jill Soloway is making movies and now you should just you shouldn't run away from Hollywood or from the entertainment industry. You should actually just watch Jill Soloway's movies. It seems a little like weird and self-serving. A lot of her like brand seems kind of weird and self-serving. It seems like I mean their corporate like ethos for their production company topple which was written up in the new york times models its core tenets after amazon's corporate leadership principles uh the fucking the bullet points are ridiculous it's our revolution must be intersectional be chill gather often keep the mama with the baby be brave the process and principles over product i mean it's just I don't know. It's also very in very dystopian font. I mean, the principles are all in caps, and the the logo for Topple is just fucking. It looks like some kind of shit from Blade Runner or Alien in terms of you know massive evil like plutocratic corporation logos. And that's staggering to hear when Soloway writes of her interactions with Tracy Lissette, the trans actress who accused Jeffrey Tambor of sexual harassment on the set of Transparent. And if a mafia analogy seems crude to you, hold that thought. And here's the quote, I, right from the book. I needed to find out why she was going straight to the press with her story to understand why she hadn't come to us. We could handle this, I wanted to tell her, but let us do this internally, inside the family. Uh, end quote. Soloway is never so sulky as in these pages pouting about her legacy and losing any lingering ability to complete sentences. If Tracy released a statement, it would be over for Jeffrey. And that meant Mora, the show, our TV family, everything. In a climactic chapter ending scene, Soloway parlays with Lisette at a coffee bean picnic table. I can't believe you're doing this, she tells the actress. Well, it happened to me, Lisette coolly replies. What happened next is just insane. I had to tell my story, she said, but I said in my statement that I wanted the show to continue. But the ideas of the show will be tarnished now in everyone's minds. In middle America, when people think of trans people, there's still so much suspicion. And Mora became this beautiful symbol of transness. And now you're laying this imagery out there of her being a predator. Suddenly... I started crying. She was horrified. I'm the victim here and you're crying, she demanded. She was right. I was sitting across from her frozen with fear. I tried to stop myself from crying like Michael and the Godfather. Oh, my God. Uh, Honestly, this is just all so self-absorbed. It seems like they really think that the most important thing is their reaction to these situations and what they take away from it even to the point that when i guess season four of transparent was filming in israel jill soloway's statements on this are shockingly clueless uh they said i don't have a lot of things in common with jared kushner but low-grade jerusalem syndrome might be one they go on being told that when you film in israel or you you know don't 
follow the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movements kind of guidelines for working with the state of Israel, that it's seen as a break with, I guess, the Palestinian-led movement, which does have a lot of queer activists involved with it. And Soloway acted like this was some sort of persecution of them, personally. Uh, They said, ugh, I was so annoyed. How did I get stuck in this very narrow place of being forced to choose? Like, oh, sure. Oh, poor Jill. Yeah, you're the victim here. Not like, I guess, I know, a Palestinian movement that's like begging people to end this like decades long, just fucking like human rights atrocity. Oh, uh, this book, of course, wouldn't be complete without a bad take on the 2016 election. We thought we had power, but no, actually, we were this thing, this other thing called women, and we could be silenced, disregarded with a vote. And then, uh, end quote, never mind that for every nine women who voted for Clinton, there were seven who voted for Trump. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to shit on Jill Soloway endlessly. I mean, they get it endlessly from, I guess, just, I feel like they're one of these people that is constantly kind of giving apologies a la Lena Dunham for being problematic about bizarre things. And it seems like they kind of have this, I don't know, they're, into the sort of self-flagellation that comes with like the apology cycle in this kind of bizarre way. And of course, Jill Soloway is now dating Nanette's own Hannah Gadsby. Hell yeah. And Sam and I read a quote that said something to the effect of, <laughs> it's great to know you can have a partner where you can talk about consent before breakfast or oh. something. They're just constantly checking their privilege at like every fucking juncture in the conversation. I yeah, I mean, also like not to be misrepresented, like n- none of this is to shit on the on queer activists or the trans movement or trans liberation or like non-binary people. Where this is not our intent. Our intent is to like highlight how these two people that we've mentioned on this show before kind of have. It's sort of like the pod Save America boys like kind of like hijacked this, I guess, a movement and tied it to their own personal brand for media consumption, which is ultimately heinous and I think should be called out, even if it were two, you know, cis hetero white boys calling it out. Um, okay. Let's bash someone who absolutely uh, no shame in doing so, and it is deserved. It is this fucking asshole Twitter guy, Johnny Sun, who has <sighs> published a book of positive affirmations called Good Morning, Good Night, little pep talks for me and you that he co-wrote with Lynn manuel Miranda. Oh, my God. So this is a very heinous example of something that is extremely kind of late 2010s, which is the Twitter book. A lot of Twitter pages, because a lot of these profiles are, you know, Johnny's son, I don't think existed outside of Twitter. That's like where he got his start. There are pages like, what, Drill, who have over a million followers and are really just Twitter things. And they come up with books to support their lives, which is is reasonable because everyone's got to eat. But Johnny's son is like really leaning into 
getting off like offline from or, or taking his brand to this kind of broader print audience. So basically Johnny's son runs this account where he is a character that is uh, an alien who misspells words and he talks like a little baby and does things like it's cool to be depressed because everyone's depressed and you just got to eat a bowl of cereal and get to work, buddy. Yeah, he's weirdly this kind of relic of like, I don't know, early 2010s Reddit where it was all of this kind of like quirky, fun comics thing. Um, I, I don't think he even came up on that on that circuit, but like it's still it, it reminds me of that kind of appeal or aesthetic and of course we should iterate that johnny's son is spelled like j-o-m-n-y like space s-u-n to be you know quirky once again so here's one of his tweets that alex nichols included in his article in the outline uh, at lomanov chen he's great so this is from johnny's son look life is hard everyone's sad we're all gonna die but I already bought the inflatable bouncy castle, so are you going to take your shoes off or what? It's just this incredibly, like, normy sort of... It, it is pumped out there as, like, comedy. Right, it's sort of like Pod Save America in that it's only funny in that it's, like, quirky. That's, that's the joke. There's no punchline. It's just this quirky, fun thing. And he was propped up by several profiles uh you know in new york times magazine npr and uh seth myers had him on his show and he was even hired to write on bojack horseman next season which is so depressing because i actually like that show i will i'm not here to shit on bojack horseman but i did not think the show could get much more dreary which is not a bad thing always but the idea that johnny's son is writing for it now i'm like fuck well uh, i mean i i can't say it kept up with like the most recent season or whatever but it was it was really good well that that'll be uh something i'll probably leave behind and if johnny's son is joining on uh of course this is the book is a team up with uh lin-manuel miranda who we know from the heinous musical fucking hamilton which bizarrely is like revisionist history claiming that alexander was a was hamilton was like a a black or or a an immigrant of color from even though he was just a fucking british subject who moved from one british colony to the u.s like which was at that point another british colony and i i mean all right like there's no need to do a hamilton takedown right now let's focus on johnny's son okay well lin-manuel miranda says that uh Johnny's son is, he refers to him as the polymath Jonathan's son. And Lin-Manuel Miranda has been doing what those awful kind of like, you're important, you, I love you kind of tweets that are like supposed to be once again, like self-affirming in this like innocent, like puppy dog kind of way. He had one after, I think we might have even mentioned it on the show after Anthony Bourdain died that was like, hold on, you Yeah, tie this string around your finger and I'll always be there for you and stuff. So Alex Nichols compares the book to Goodnight Moon <laughs> and, you know, something like a, like a weird desk calendar that someone's mom brought them because they knew they were on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, the positivity grift is very real. 
Yeah, I'm looking at another Lin-Manuel Miranda tweet where he's saying, Good night from your comfiest article of clothing. You think I keep you warm, but all the warmth comes from you. All I do is hold you. That's all I'm here to do. You grow, you change, I'll hold you. Like, this is just, this is so depressing that, like, the internet is giving you these, I guess, fucking digital hugs. (laughs) Yeah, and let's take that and move on to story time because honestly johnny's son jill soloway pod save america this is a dreary pop culture section (laughs) yeah we uh we kept it to things that are not very good okay well next week we'll do only things that are like serious recommendations so i'm gonna tell a quick story from the time i interned at fox uh like a local fox station in in upstate new york and during college so it was one of my first days and it was like one of my first remote assignments so like you know we we went uh, i got in like the news van with the reporter danny on the scene (laughs) right and we were going to a school in i think it was deposit new york (laughs) upstate new york has amazing town names it's true, and it was so funny to see these tea party, just old, like, hairless, like, just baseball mitt-skinned <laughs> men. Just beach balls with hair. I don't recall too much from the meeting, aside from the fact that one guy specifically kept saying, now we got Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> really pumping on the Hussein. But uh, not his other two foreign. I guess Hussein's got that name brand recognition with Big Daddy Saddam back in Iraq. The implication was certainly a connection to like terrorists. Saddam. Yes. <laughs> it's so cool. And that was a time, I guess, when I didn't have as coherent an ideology other than, you know, sort of John Stewart level yeah. liberalism. Like conservatives are bad and dumb. <laughs> so I certainly recognized at the time why that was so funny. But looking back now, I should have recognized it as a sign of things to come. Sort of like I said about Steve King earlier. You were witnessing this guy thinking he was some relic of, like, the bygone American past. But, I mean, he was predicting the future, baby. That's 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 what the Republican Party's all about right now. I mean, literally, the guy who's in charge now is the guy who said that Obama was not born in this country. So, go figure. So, listen to the overall <laughs> upstate New Yorker next time and you can the see- racist shall inherit the earth <laughs> bleak episode yeah this episode was was a rough what, one. what are we supposed to do we saw these just dismal midterm <laughs> midterm returns like we still like the most meager vi- or not meager victories but still just there's so much work to be got done and we have so little time like we're so fucked we got s- still two more years of trump we think trump's getting reelected. it's like I mean, kids are going to grow up having not known a president who wasn't Donald Trump. That's horrible. 
And kids are going to grow up with parents who follow the Jordan Peterson meat diet. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all we're going to be eating in the in the next, like, 12, after 12 years from now when, like, I guess vegetation is stripped from the earth. We'll just be forced to eat, like, cold meat all the time. But will you still have your LinkedIn MAGA alt account? <laughs> yeah, I'll have my uh, my horny LinkedIn account where I look at, like... All the LinkedIn pages that are like, I don't know, busty MAGA ladies or like revealing photos of that disturbing Aryan girl who poses with guns and like ballroom dresses out in the swamp. (laughs) She's the fucking worst. I I don't even like like quote tweeting her uh, stuff because yeah i I don't want to see her on my timeline i don't want to see any images of her ever it's funny you brought her up uh caitlin bennett is her name and she started a patreon (laughs) and it had under 400 people (laughs) and she's like enormous uh or sorry under 400 dollars sorry <laughs> not people dollars of profit which for someone with an enormous social media platform is abysmal don't like the Koch brothers support all of these like disturbing little weirdos who pop up like what what charlie kirk who you recently told like showed me per his data plan is apparently like a power user on this like escort website Yes, yeah, so that was a, a, a story on Barnard Media that Charlie Kirk has been linked to an account with <laughs> this escort service. And just think what it takes to be a power user on an escort service. And I, I think he said he was interested in, like, kinky behaviors or something. <laughs> Put your gums on my tits. <laughs> and this is an adult escort website, which... Obviously, everyone's an adult because they're having sex, but in this context, it means, like, elderly, I think. It's called fling.com. I would love if Charlie Kirk was banging old ladies. And what's the best part of this is this is all when he, as we have mentioned before, was living with his fucking parents. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, looking at these, not only looking at these sites... Being a power user on these sites. All right, let's play the drop of him yelling at Chank Unger at Politicon. No, 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 Why don't you live like a socialist? Go live like a socialist. The point is larger than that, Charlie. I live like a capitalist every single day, hey, Chank. I live as a capitalist. Hey, 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 okay? Hey, hey, hey. I live when no, I play. No, no, no. What do I do? I get charity every single year. Hold on, hold on, What's hold on. What's my salary? Less than it. Charlie, take a seat. Come on, Jake, let's go. Charlie, oh, no. take, what are you doing? Sit down. Take a seat, take a seat. Psycho? All right, no, no, take a seat. You're going to take a seat. So clearly living like a capitalist for yeah. young Charlie Kirk, the prince of the right wing, is, God. is a power user status on an escort app. And... I want to remind you to uh, subscribe on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, of course. Also, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. It started showing up on there, so another place to listen. And please follow the show on Twitter at plunge underscore podcast. Follow me at Spuventacular, 
And Sam is at Wag Stank. And Sam, any last words to send us off? Um, I mean, Dan, remember that when you don't vote, you're disrespecting your ancestors who are not allowed to vote. When you don't vote, you die. <laughs> you're not allowed to complain. Nobody's allowed should talk to you. You should be shunned. You should be spat on. There was a bar in DC that uh, wouldn't serve you if you didn't have an I voted sticker. <laughs> Mine fell off in the rain and I was like, well, I guess uh, my vote doesn't count. Either way, I mean, it doesn't matter who you vote for. Just go vote. Now's your chance to have your voice heard. What's your excuse? Look what happened when you didn't vote in 2016, Dan. I bet you won't make that mistake again. I voted for Hillary damn Clinton. <laughs> I did too. It wasn't fun. I had to vote for Tim Kaine again. <laughs> that fucking moron. God, it, it, not a fun election. Dan, Dan, who'd you vote for? So I voted for the Green Party candidate in New York, uh, Howie Hawkins. Instead of wow, Andrew so you're Cuomo. the reason we got Trump. Well, it's Andrew Cuomo, and he, he skated to an easy victory. And I mean, no, I voted for Kristen Gillibrand and a bunch of other Democrats. Man, one of the worst victories was, I mean, because we're from New Jersey. I mean, Bob Menendez, Senator <laughs> of New Jersey, who literally like is a corrupt greaseball. But also, I mean, most important thing to mention about him is that he's fucking like has had relations with like underage prostitutes in the Dominican Republic. He's a really fucking greasy dude. And I'm sure that everyone we know in Jersey, for the most part. I mean, best case scenario, voted for Bob Menendez. Like, this is the game that people are playing. This is what people act like. This is why it's so infuriating when people who watch Pod Save America act like politics is this, like, clapback session. It's like, no, this is a very gross and, like, fucking anachronistic process that we're all forced to participate in. I'd like to point out that Menendez's challenger's last name is Huggin. So, <laughs> clearly a creep. Uh, and that's it. Goodbye.